0: Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream, and in every medium, and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today, we're talking with Josh Antonuccio, a creator, educator, and researcher about the roles of virtual reality and augmented reality in our modern lives. Josh is an immersive audio producer and co-creator as part of the Immersive Media Initiative at Ohio University in the School of Media Arts and Studies. He tells us what's on the horizon in these two new
1: technological fields. So virtual and augmented reality. So virtual reality is a completely enclosed experience. Um, visuals are enclosed, so essentially when Palmer Luckey designed the first Oculus Rift, it was off the shelf parts with essentially ski goggles. So enclosed visuals and totally enclosed, uh, what we call closed design headphones. Augmented reality allows um, the user to have something over their eyes that would resemble uh, like the early iterations of Google Glass where you're seeing through and then you have holographic representations that are over the actual environment. Some people refer to that as mixed media. Um, You know, we use the the term immersive media to kind of cover both areas, but that's the general kind of breakdown of category. Do
0: certain applications work better in one area than in another?
1: Well, anytime you wanna have a user that can interact with things in the actual world, you're gonna see augmented. For instance, um, we're part of the design teams that are working to do testing on the microsoft hololens and the hololens essentially looks like futuristic ski goggles there's no closed design headphone there's actual speaker ports by uh, each of your ears and so for instance some of the demos might have you walking down a hallway and you could be in in the center of rome and literally you're walking through rome but you can see the hallway you're walking through Uh, you can have people around you speaking Italian. Literally, holographically, the floor drops out underneath you so you can see the excavation and the archaeology into the history of the city. So there's all kinds of interactions that happen in your actual world. The other thing you can do is you can have holographic uh, placeholders in your environment. So imagine that you're in an office space and you have a HoloLens set on, and instead of having a computer in front of you, with, let's say, seven windows on one monitor, you could actually take those and holographically stick them onto the walls of your office. Um, so if you wanted to show a video to a colleague, you could literally drag that out and show them on the wall. It's not on your screen anymore. But those are things that are inter- interacting with your actual space. Virtual reality, you know, there's a lot of applications that are going to work much better for that. For instance, if you want having someone to have a completely separate experience from the actual environment that they're in, so, for instance, you know, one of the ones that we run is Star Wars. You want somebody to be on Tatooine fighting the Imperial Force, like they're completely cut out of the environment that is our motion capture lab while they're doing that. Um, now, there's a lot of applications for that in terms of like uh, healthcare or um, history or language study or entertainment, where you want to cut somebody totally out of an environment and basically in a sense, trick their brain that they're somewhere else other than where they're sitting or standing.
0: So you can mm-hmm. certainly have
1: an immersive language uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, there's, and that field right now is exploding. In fact, I just sat out in on a uh, review of a student that's proposing to do just that uh, in Italy uh, in spring. Talk about some of the applications you
0: and and your lab are working on in the virtual realm.
1: So in virtual reality, um, well, I mentioned healthcare. So we're doing partnerships and have possible other partnerships come up in 2017. The most notice, the most recent one rather, is uh, Grant Healthcare, where uh, they can't have upcoming surgeons in training in the actual trauma. Uh, center while they're doing while they're having patients come in. So to help them expediate and have kind of a, a, a greater depth of training, we worked with them to provide immersive shoots inside of the trauma center while they had patients there. So we had two um, uh, PixPro, Kodak uh, 360 cameras. And we used uh, what are called first-order ambisonic microphones. They're, they capture in what's called a tetrahedral fashion. So you can then go in after the fact, uh, code that audio so that it locks in place, and therefore you have a sense of uh, directionality. You can establish location. Um, so again, then you can have s- students come in after the fact, put that on, and actually feel like they're standing next to the surgeon. That's you know directing that particular. Uh, session in the, in the trauma unit. So, so
0: certainly a, a learning tool mm-hmm. then for uh, people who can't be at a location, but now they can be virtually.
1: Right. And I mentioned language before. I mean, that's one of the many areas where you could have incredible immersive opportunities for training and development in any language you want. Um, Instead of having to go to a foreign country or be in, let's say, a study hour for conversation, you can literally go to the country in VR and practice language.
0: Now, uh, I could be wrong, but but help me out if I am. Uh, Augmented reality seems to me to be more of an extension of some of the things that we already do. Mm-hmm. uh whether it's uh, when you talked about putting things on the wall to share with colleagues uh from your computer i mean to me that's not much different than taking a white sheet and taping it to the wall mm-hmm. <laughs> right, i've right. been in many environments that had walls you know taped solid with with white sheets but but this is a a, a electronic technological way of of doing the same thing thing mm-hmm. so augmented uh, uh, that word really resonates with me because it seems like it augments some of the things that we already
1: do right so for instance in medical let's let's stay with healthcare like let's say for instance, I, I don't want to bring a cadaver into this room to show you uh, something uh, anatomically or whatever but in in augmented reality, Conceptually, what I could do is we could put on a HoloLens, for instance, and we could lay the body out here. And then I could actually take organs out in free space and we could look at them together. We could expand the size of them. We could get down to the cellular level in free space together. And so it presents an incredible tool, as you said, to augment already existing tools, but to make it even more powerful. So.
0: I know you're interested in in sound and mm-hmm. you're part of the uh, the virtual and augmented reality is is capturing and delivering the sound mm-hmm. quality to to uh, to really replicate what a person's environment should be uh, is sound not as important in augmented reality as it is in virtual
1: no um, well. Let me say one thing about augmented reality just um, to establish is that augmented reality is still very much a yet-to-be-developed technology. Okay. There's a lot of companies that are doing work in it. I mean, uh, go back again to Google Glass being the first kind of generation of that, and right. that failed for a number of reasons. But the broader holographic technology of augmented reality that people like Google via a company named Magic Leap um, – Microsoft, Apple. In fact, if you look at all the immersive medias, Tim Cook has said on record that of all those, augmented reality presents the most kind of lucrative way forward. Uh, that still is not in the broader marketplace quite yet. As a concept, it certainly is. Magic Leap has raised over a billion dollars, but even they've fallen under criticism lately for not putting out some kind of product yet. They've only put out kind of video uh, Oh, I've seen the videos. Right. The and, videos are amazing. But like people like MIT and others have said, well, and they've even come out and said, well, some of those were created with cinematic effects. That's not necessarily the, the user view of actual products. So that's all just to say that that's still very much in an R&D phase, augmented reality is. So in terms of how sound plays in, those, in with those things, I was in Los Angeles uh, at the end of September for the first ever Uh, Virtual and Augmented Reality Audio Engineering Society gathering, uh, where basically all of the audio development teams and kind of the key players were out in one place to talk about this field. And actually, George Sanger of Magic Leap, who's their audio supervisor, was talking about how in augmented and VR, that sound is more than 50% of the experience. So it's going to play even more of an important role in these technologies. And here's one of the reasons why. Let's just take VR as an example. When you're in virtual reality and you're completely closed off, both uh, with headphones and with the the, um, the goggles in place, if you close your eyes, uh, the only thing you have to guide you in terms of where things are, where you are, what's happening is the sound. Even more so, sound uh, plays a particularly important role in terms of user direction. That is, having something happen in your sound experience, it directs you as to where you're supposed to look. See, in traditional video, the the director is showing you what to look at, and you have left right. Look steering. at this. Right, it's right in front of you. Yeah. But in VR, you can look wherever you want. There might be action right in front of you, but you can uh, make the choice to turn around 180 degrees and look at something else. Now, there's something that's key to the story, the experience. The user needs to look at the sound is actually what directs them. Hey, look over here. You hear a voice over your right shoulder. You turn around and you direct your vision and your attention to that. Um, but again, sound, and this is one of the things that George Sanger really spoke about. At this conference was that sound is really what gives the, it's what creates the believability that you can localize things. You have a sense of boundary. That you have a sense of space that things are believable in terms of your perception. The visuals are very impressive, even in the earliest designs, of like the early design kits of the Oculus Rift. But it's the sound development where that's where it becomes very immersive and very uh, compelling. So in storytelling, then,
0: sound is a greater element in
1: VR than it is in traditional... (sighs) Say a person going to a movie. Well, I I think there can be an equal weight. For instance, if I were to go to a horror movie in the theater, one of the oldest tricks in the book is to, just to throw a loud, unexpected sound right. at people to jolt people. You know, it, in VR, uh, and and well, let me go back to that, and even more so when you go to like a to any kind of film or you watch traditional uh, television or you know current narratives, sound is incredibly important, and the sound design is. Uh, holds as much weight as, as the visuals do. Steven Spielberg himself even said that he would have no career would it not have been for John Williams. So you start taking things like music and dialogue and effects. And the, our team has basically developed a fourth aspect, which is the environment. You know, Traditional sound development is DME, dialogue, music, effects. We've added a fourth and a second E, which is the environment. That is how you're capturing a believable, spherical environment to put people into. So in VR, I actually think it's, I actually do think it is more important in some ways than the visuals because you have the choice to close your eyes in VR. You can you can say I don't want to look at this, but the sound still has to hold forth. You can't shut your ears. It Always has to be an ongoing. So
0: if you're in a jungle, if you're in a city, if right. you're uh, in a school, mm-hmm. it,
1: it has to reflect
0: that without any visuals at all.
1: That's right. And that starts getting into the physics of sound, how things actually feel in space. And there's an, an incredible amount of research that's now being done. It has been done over the last few years. I mean, really, over the last dec- few decades, but even more so right now that, that they finally have found the tech that seems to have resonated with the marketplace.
0: When you're working sound in a VR world, is it more important how you capture the sound originally or how you display the sound? Mm-hmm. Or, or is, are those equal? If you're getting my question.
1: Yeah, I think right now they're, and I think in general, they're equal. I mean, that's those are some of the big questions that everyone is trying to crack right now. As I've talked and heard from a number of the leading um, audio development, either either the team leaders or people working on those teams, across the board, whether it's gaming or film, or documentarians, or people just creating immersive experiences—all of them agree it's the it's the wild west right now. I mean, no, there is no set protocol. I mean, everybody is doing something different and trying to kind of look over each other's shoulder. There's a lot of information sharing right now, um, in that regard. Cause again, people are trying to figure it out. But I guess to your point. You know, right now, those are the two big questions: how do you accurately capture for VR? And as I mentioned, the ambisonic microphones—that's kind of one of the ways. Uh, that what does do. that
0: mean? So, ambisonic
1: microphones just uses more than one microphone to capture. Okay. Let's just say spherically. There's first order and there's high order, higher order ambisonic microphones that use upwards of, I mean, sixty four microphones in some cases to capture. Got it. Okay. So that's the one thing. So yeah, the capture is big. The other thing is that traditional film and TV location capture, you know, you can put the whole crew behind the camera, have people with boom microphones, you can use spot mics. You can't do any of that because the cameras in VR are capturing everything. In fact, I heard from one team that was shooting a piece for Ray-Ban and they were shooting this couple on the beach. And when they said action, they had to run down the beach and hide in the hotel because you can't be anywhere within sight based on, you know, how, how many pixels you're going to be able to discern at, um, in playback. But so that presents a whole other challenge is how do you make all of the technicians on set invisible? Now, on the playback side, you know, how do you, how you create a locked environment that is that the sound is following... Um, a head movement, how you place things in space that the uh, physics of the environment match your expected perception of it all those things matter in terms of the believability of the experience. But what's really exciting right now and, you know some people have said well, you know it's it's good but it's not great and there's been you know you hear some criticism but what is incredible is that we are just at the very beginning and right now even within the last 18 months where you've had, Let's see, three development kits and then uh, a consumer version of Oculus Rift, the HTC Vives, um, Samsung, and the kind of other devices that are out there. It's already incredibly impressive where we are right now, and it's only going to grow. So we
0: hear with our ears in an anatomical way. Mm-hmm. Let me just use that word. I don't know if it's correct, but... but do you have to capture sound and playback sound in an anatomical mm-hmm. way? Yeah, so, how, how is that different than the way you used to do
1: it? Yeah. So, I mean, for instance, music, uh, or if I just listen to something on earbuds right now, it's just in left-right stereo. It's not um, it's not taking into consideration a creation of an environment, right? So humans here, we have a binaural way of taking things in, meaning that we basically have two omnidirectional microphones on either side of our head and we have stuff in between our brain. So the capture and playback is basically trying to replicate in binaural. So, And if anybody that listens to this wants to just hear what it sounds like, just put on your earbuds, go to YouTube and type in binaural haircut or binaural recordings. And they capture with dummy heads with binaural recordings and then you can hear, like it sounds like the scissors on the haircut are going over your head. And it creates a sense of dimensionality. Same thing with there's one with like bees buzzing around you. I mean, it feels like they're flying all around your head. Um, so there's a lot of experiences you can get online just with regular headphones that will will do it. And I, sh- I should also just mention like VR, all those experiences are with regular commercial headphones. There aren't specialized headphones, but it's the... It's the actual processing that goes into the playback that gives the sense of, again, space and dimensionality. makes it believable.
0: We'll be back after this message. At the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, students and faculty aren't just ready for change. They're hungry for it. The Scripps College of Communication was awarded $878,000 by Ohio University for an immersive media initiative that will allow students to become skilled leaders in immersive media, especially virtual and augmented reality. The college's game research and immersive design lab will serve as the hub for the initiative and provide several million dollars worth of equipment, processes, intellectual property, and award-winning scholars and partnerships for the project. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. We've seen... T- advents of technology and oftentimes they have become generational mm-hmm. and uh, different age groups use them differently is that the same with vr and and augmented you have small children mm-hmm. Do they react to it differently than you do as a middle-aged guy than I would as an older guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a generational difference in how we react?
1: I well I guess I think of it in two ways. I, it, an initial reaction, I don't see much of a difference. I mean it's it's a mind-blowing thing the first time you try it and it's and it's a good playback experience, it's not low fidelity. It's it's really incredible. I do think though that younger generations or digital natives feel more comfortable with just being in that environment. I have noticed that older people are like that was interesting but I don't know if I'd want to do that all the time. Others seem more prone to say oh like I would want to try a lot of different things uh within that environment. So um do, do your children have the same oh wow
0: factor or is it just as you know, sort of commonplace. it's the extension of whatever they currently have
1: no they I mean, they were totally wild by it. They've come into the motion capture lab and tried it. um i mean that that has been kind of a a non-discriminatory experience, I think that all ages just it's really incredible. I just think it's probably the comfort level and the kind of acceptance of the technology seems to be more favorable maybe to those that are younger, and those that are older.
0: Well, we've been talking so far about capturing and reproducing reality, and mm-hmm. you were talking about the uh, trauma unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've been talking about creating environments that uh, ad, advance a narrative. Uh, one of your specialty areas of interest is music. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see either VR or or augmented, uh, relating to music and our experience with music. And if you could differentiate between those two.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I probably speak more to virtual right now because augmented reality really has not, there is, there hasn't been a commercial footprint for it yet. And also, it's still very much, again, in the R&D phase. On the virtual side, just as a as a starting point, I mean, virtual reality and augmented reality, whether or not it's going to take off as a broad-based, commercially accepted form of media, nonetheless has created an incompletely different category of media. It's completely different than traditional film, traditional concert capture, any of the other things that you might see where music and visuals tend to have a crossover. So. You know, if you look over the last 12 to 16 months, even a little farther back, you see that there's been some early dabblings in VR and music. Artists like Bjork, U2, Big Sean have gone in and have started creating these VR experiences. What's really interesting is in 2016, this would probably be the year I say where it broke. So one of the other things that I do here is I take a group of students to South by Southwest every year. South by Southwest is a really helpful place to kind of see where the bigger culture is going to break. You know, you've had kind of big zeitgeist moments down there with tech. Twitter broke there. Periscope broke there via the launch of Meerkat and some other things. Um, So kind of big tech ideas, and and you can kind of get a sense of that. So in 2015, most of the question was, VR is interesting, but is it really going to do anything? So everybody's kind of dipping their toes in the water. You kind of saw percolations of it in some uh, workshops and panels. 12 months later, this last year, every VR session, and I was there for the entire conference, every one of them was, if not sold out, there was a line to get in. It was unbelievable. And, and you can really see where that has now kind of translated in, in, on the music industry side. So Coachella became the first music festival to broadcast in VR. Live Nation, the largest concert promoter in America, uh, who owns and runs, you know, Bonnaroo among other large events, has hired and has their own VR production team. Next VR, they have a truck that goes to all their events and captures for VR. You saw it happening in sports with uh, the NBA. So, so you see all these kind of things that have now, where it's gone from the concept into actual practice. So on the music side right now, the big question is: Well, it's interesting, but. How's it going to translate in, into dollars? That's How's it, How do you monetize Right. So the monetization thing's been a big question. I mean, I have ideas about how I think that might play out. But as it is now, you can see where there's been a lot of investment to start capturing those experiences. And that's across the board, both in live and in studio production. Even the last month, the number of artists that have gone on, including Childish Gambino, who just released his newest album, Awaken My Love, in a VR experience. So...
0: If I were having a VR experience watching a, a musical performer, would I be feeling like I was at a concert, at a at a festival, or would I be in the middle of
1: what we used to call music videos, mm-hmm. at, or, or both? It, yeah, I think both. So let's take the live event side. So I helped lead a team in June at the Nelson Music Festival, which is a... 8,000-plus Midwest festival it's become one of the most beloved festivals of that size in this part of the country. So Courtney Barnett came and headlined the first night. She had just come off of being on Saturday Night Live. So we worked with her and her label to shoot a VR experience of her set. So what that meant was we could put somebody in the front row of the concert, and then also we got permission to have an on-stage camera behind her amplifier so in the final product when you're in vr and you're courtney barnett whether you're a fan or not but if you're a fan you get to stand and be front row and it basically alternates between both perspectives we got access to the multi-track mixes from the the uh the board so in our sound processing we were able to mix in kind of a high fidelity experience from both perspectives using audio captured on site and that's become kind of a model for people looking to do the live event experience you can take people to a concert of an artist that they love or a performance and put them in that experience with them. On the video side, you know, that would be like the Chadish Gambino example of putting somebody or being in a practice space with someone. Um, You you know, if you want to come join us, here we are. And then you're literally, it feels like you're there with them. And I've seen videos of people in those experiences screaming because they're so excited to be in the midst of their favorite artists. It feels like they're in a room with them. It feels that believable. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the criticism that I get about it is, you know, well, that's not going to replace, you know, everyone's always going to love going to a concert. And I don't disagree with that. I I just, I think what's exciting is that it creates another possible category of experience, fan engagement, and therefore monetization um, to help support the artist. Well, I, I was going to ask about that because uh, it, it if I look
0: at at media you know in, in my lifetime the the one medium that has changed the least in my mind is our movies. Mm-hmm you still go to a place you pay money you go in you sit down with strangers and, and a few people that you might know mm-hmm. and watch something on a big screen with better sound than you could ever get mm-hmm. at, at home. But that's been with with advents of technology certainly it's better but it's the same experience that people had in the 20s when they went to the, to, to see the silent pictures and mm-hmm. then up in the 30s when they got sound and mm-hmm. and uh, to 2016 mm-hmm. that's been a fairly consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. Will VR come in and change that? I mean, will we now be able to be part of our own movie and not no longer satisfied
1: with just watching a narrative on a flat screen? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think of it well, taking your example of film, like while that's true, think about all of the other alternate and, and very lucrative ways that people have taken in films. Like when I was growing up, I remember when VHS players came on board. So I didn't have to go to a movie anymore. I could actually sit at my house and watch the film or cable. And then going up through internet distribution, well, now I can watch movies online. And everyone said when iPhones and smartphones came out, the big criticism was no one will ever watch a film on a device that small. <laughs> and now we know that's completely untrue. Yeah. I mean, Netflix and all the other distribution services. So, um, so you know, again, I don't think it's going, I don't look at VR as an eradication technology. It's going to replace things. I think, like some of these other technologies that I've mentioned, that it will create a, a different category of media that will create a unique way for content development so that you know, if I go see Star Wars or some blockbuster, or as other films have done, they've created standalone VR pieces that kind of tie into the film. So I could release a huge film and then I can also have a VR piece that I can go in and engage with content. To create alongside of it so it explodes the monetization part of it potentially it, 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 it's yeah
0: the way disney started marketing mm-hmm. everything about their films, right so right it, back and in they've the day done that and with it,
1: and now it's just a continuation of right. what you're saying i mean i mean I, you've probably seen the advertisements for some of the vr games for like you know for star wars that are coming out right now i mean can I sit in my house and be a rebel star pilot? And I mean, it's—I mean—you can see where you can develop these very engaging entertainment pieces. There, there's an easy pathway to see how that's going to be a production pipeline unto itself. Well, I want to wrap up, but I've got two quick questions, sure. and, and uh,
0: to get you to sort of speculate a, a bit. Opposite sides of the same coin. Uh, when you think of VR and augmented and you're, you're, you're pondering about it, what excites you the most and what worries you? What, what is it, that <laughs> nagging thing in the back of your head that goes, eh, I
1: don't know? Well, it's actually two sides of the same coin. What excites me the most also concerns me the most. And that is that we have so little understanding right now about how it affects your, your brain about how it affects your memories, about how it affects long-term um, what the effects of it are. So let me give you two examples. In one case, I can have a person who has PTSD or has had a stroke or um, needs some kind of cognitive development tool. And so you enter VR in. It provides this amazing controlled opportunity to provide a service to either of those a person in either of those scenarios. Right. And there's already, that's already happening. and has been happening for a little bit now. But on the other side of that coin, if if a VR experience is powerful enough to rewire your brain in a positive way, then the os- opposite is true. And that is that it could traumatize somebody. You could take somebody to experience that is way too intense, or way too real, um, or induces anxiety, or panic, or, I mean, there's all kinds of ways. and. I, you know, nobody knows what the long-term effect of that is. It's, that's probably more my concern than, you know, I've had people say, why well, aren't you worried people are just gonna tune out the world? And I mean, that already has happened. Look, walk down the street. <laughs> yeah, You know, that's already going on. I think the bigger question is the long-term, how it affects our ability to discern, uh, I guess in some ways, reality. And I'll give you an example. I mean, my one of my kids, yeah. I took them to Tokyo in VR. And uh, um, and it's just, it was a real simple experience. Somebody took a 360 video camera and walked through downtown Tokyo and it kind of faded between different experiences. Nothing nothing intense, just scenes of Tokyo. And uh, about two months later, I think it was, uh, they came to me, and they said, you know, I had a memory I was in Tokyo, but then I realized that what, I was actually when we, we did that VR thing together. And so, you know, they actually have age warnings on these devices, but you know, as we know with all things, it's really going to be at the hand of the whoever's supervising a child. Um, so I don't know. Those those experiences in VR are very believable. They're very intense, and so I think where there's excite, I have excitement, and I think there's a huge uh, opportunity to really help people and provide innovative, educational, entertaining experiences. On the other side, I think that you have to be very, very careful about what you introduce people to because it, it can be really frightening. I mean, I can I know for myself I cannot do a horror experience in VR. It's just so intense. I tried even with the headphones slightly on and the goggles slightly off. I could not do it. It's way too scary. <laughs> it seems that the the ethics of,
0: of all of this is uh, – as in many cases, always lagging behind mm-hmm. the the advent of technology. And here we're not just talking about ethics. We're talking about actual perhaps brain changes or, or, or ways that we think mm-hmm. uh, being altered.
1: Yeah, or just at the very least building negative experiences that really have an impact on a person's health. Josh, thanks. Thanks so much, Tom. Today, we've talked with Josh Antonuccio, a
0: creator, educator, and researcher in the fields of virtual reality and augmented reality, about their future applications in our lives. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email at hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.